And again, as we prepare to go through this passage, let's just ask for God's guidance. As we look into your word, Lord God, we, we just want to remind ourselves that this is you talking to us. Everything that's recorded in the Bible is your word to us. So as we go through this, it's you talking. Help us, Lord, to listen to you speak to us this morning. And may we understand what it is you're saying. Help me, Lord, to speak it in such a way that it would be understandable and would be accurate and right. And so, Lord, we, got, we pray you guide our thoughts in your name. Amen. If you look at the bulletin this morning, uh, you notice that the title of the sermon is Restoration, Tests of Repentance. So I thought I'd start the sermon with some humor about tests or exams. Uh, exams are like girlfriends, one person observed. <laughs> First, there's too many questions. Oh, a tough crowd here this morning. <laughs> Second, they're difficult to understand. <laughs> Three, there's always more explanation needed. <laughs> and four, the result is always a fail. <laughs> I thought it was funny when I was looking at it. But <clears throat> and I'd just like to go on record by saying that that is not at all the case with my girlfriend and wife. Um, she would like to say it's the other way around. <laughs> But really, uh, the focus this morning is on the repentance part. I came across a speech given by President Abraham Lincoln during the American Civil War. And when I read, when I read it, I thought, wow, how things have changed in the values of our society since then and in the quality of our leaders since then. It was a speech that he gave to proclaim Thursday, April 30th, 1863, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Here's a speech from the then President of the United States. It is the duty of nations, as well as of men, to own their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that with genuine repentance, sorry, that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity and too proud to pray to the God who made us. It behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. That from the President of the United States in 1863. Can you imagine? <laughs> In that first paragraph, Abraham Lincoln mentions the hope that with genuine repentance would come mercy and pardon. That word repent is an interesting word. It carries with it a lot of meaning. It means more than just a realization of sin and a regret of doing it. It means to change direction or change action. 
Genuine repentance always involves a change. As you read, for example, the book of Acts in the New Testament, in your Bibles, you'll see over and over when the apostles were explaining how a person could be saved, they usually used that word, repent. The best definition I've heard of came from the mouth of a little girl in a story recorded by the late Donald Gray Barnhouse. And this is the story. A Sunday school teacher was once asked a class what was meant by the word repentance, and a little boy said, it means being sorry for your sins. And then a little girl put up her hand and said, please, it is being sorry enough to quit. And no theologian ever said it better. Two weeks ago, in our study through the book of Genesis, we saw the beginning of the restoration of the relationship between Joseph and his brothers. This story of restoration and reconciliation between Joseph and his brothers, that goes on for a few chapters here in Genesis. Uh, so it's going to take four sermons to cover this story. So it'll end up being a little four-part mini-series on restoration. Two weeks ago, we saw the first part, facing up to our sin. And how God brings us to the place where he wants us. And then brings us face to face with our sin. So we will have no choice but to deal with it. Today we're going to be looking at the next step of restoration. Which is repentance. Now remember repentance means change. And this is a necessary step in restoration. And we'll be looking at the tests that come to show if repentance is real. And again Joseph and his brothers here are the kind of the case study uh, for this. The passage we're covering today is a long, long passage. We're going to start right at chapter 43, verse 1, and we'll go right through to 44, verse 17. Uh, it's a long passage, so I only had Chris read part of it. <laughs> this whole story of the restoration between Joseph and his brothers covers actually four chapters. Uh, and it's really difficult, as you read it, to figure out where to put the brakes, uh, to break up the story. It's too much to do all in one sermon, obviously, so we're going to do it in four sermons, but it's hard to know exactly where to put the brakes. Um, sometimes where the, the people that later on added the chapters and verses to the Bible, sometimes where they put it is really <laughs> right in the middle of a thought or right in the middle of a paragraph, and it's not sometimes in the best place. Uh, so, the section we're going to look at today, 43 verse 1 through 44 verse 17, um, and uh, that's, that's where I felt, uh, uh, for this miniseries, I would put the brakes at any rate. So, two weeks ago we saw the Joseph's brothers come home with food that they had bought in Egypt because of the great famine that is affecting the whole then known world. So, for a while, Joseph and his family are okay in this famine. But, of course, the food they bought could only last for so long because as 43 verse 1 says the famine was severe in the whole land. So the time came when they were again without food and again in verse 2 Jacob tells his sons to go down to Egypt and to buy more grain. Well then Judah reminded Jacob that they would have to take Benjamin with them or they would not be able to buy any food. He told Jacob again, we went through this two weeks ago, told Jacob exactly what the ruler of the land had said. We even through all that two weeks ago, as I said. And again there, we see verse 6 and following, Jacob's dismay at the thought of his youngest son Benjamin going with him. And he asked his other sons, why in the world did you tell that ruler that, we, that you had another brother? 
a younger brother. Why did you treat me so badly? Now remember, it's, uh, <laughs> Brad talked about context this morning. Remember the context here. Jacob's beloved old wife, Rachel, had borne two sons to Jacob. Joseph, and then later on, Benjamin. And she died giving birth to Benjamin, the youngest. The other ten brothers were sons of other women. Joseph had been Jacob's favorite, but Jacob had lost him, as, as we know. And then, the first trip, they had to leave Simeon in Egypt to guarantee that they brought Benjamin back with them next time. Benjamin was the only son that Jacob had left from his wife, Rachel, his beloved wife, Rachel. And now, Benjamin had become, since Joseph had gone, Benjamin had become the favorite. So that's why Jacob asked, why did you treat me so badly? <laughs> and Judah answered, well, the ruler had asked very specific questions about their family. They had just answered his questions, never once dreaming that he would want to see Benjamin. And I read that and I thought, well, that's a bit of a spin on the story back in chapter 42. But anyway, that's what Judah's answer was. And then Judah went on to say that, that their father Jacob, that he should send Benjamin with, the, with them. And Judah said that he would personally take care of him. If anything happened to him, Jacob would hold, or could hold Judah responsible for that. And he added, Judah added, that there's no time to waste. If they hadn't delayed, they could have gone down to Egypt and back twice. They're running out of food. They need to get food. There's no time to waste. So Jacob resigned himself to the inevitable that he had to let Benjamin go. Verse 14 says, But he told his sons to bring the ruler of the land a gift from the land of Canaan. Some balm and some honey, some aromatic gum. That's how my translation puts it. Some Your translation says something different there. Uh, some myrrh, some pistachio nuts, some almonds. And from what I can tell, those are things that were not produced in Egypt, but were in Canaan. Uh, so obviously Jacob was hoping that with this gift, the ruler of the land of Egypt would go easy on his sons. And especially Benjamin. And also he said, take double the money you need to buy the grain. Bring back the money you found in your sacks. Remember the story from the last two weeks ago? When they opened up their sacks, they all found their money back in the sacks. Take that money back with them. Maybe it was a mistake. And then take enough money to go buy more grain. So all of this, these ten brothers start off for Egypt. And again, they appear before the ruler of the land, who is their brother Joseph, whom they still don't recognize. And apparently at first there was no communication between them, verse uh, 16. Uh, Joseph just saw them, saw that they had Benjamin with them. So he told his house steward to go and prepare a feast, that these men were going to eat with him at noon. So the brothers are taken to Joseph's house, and they're immediately suspicious. Why are they bringing us here? What's going on? Why are they doing this? They're still living in constant fear, still mightily under conviction, I think. And they reason, perhaps, that's because of the money in their sacks from the first time. And they're going to have to explain how they got away without paying. So they explained to the house steward about the money. They found it in their sacks. They didn't know how it got there, but they brought it back, plus more money to buy more grain. But the house steward kind of dismissed the whole thing, uh, saying not to worry about it. Their God must have been good to them. He had their money. 
uh, just leave it alone. So that was that. So they came into the house, and the steward brought Simeon out of prison to join them. They were given water to clean up. The steward kind of helped them all clean up, took care of their donkeys, fed them, and took care of them. And then the brothers prepared the gift they had brought for the ruler of the land. And so when Joseph appeared, they presented it to him, and again, bowed down low with their faces to the ground. There's no harshness by Joseph at this time. He spoke to them quite kindly. Asked them about their old father of whom they had spoken about last time. Was he still alive and well? And Joseph was probably, probably just aching to hear some word about his father. And they assured him, yes, their old father was still alive and well. And then Joseph turned his attention to Benjamin. Uh, is this the younger brother of whom you spoke? And they affirmed it was. And then Joseph said to Benjamin, may God be gracious to you, my son. <coughs> Excuse me. Benjamin had been a young boy when Joseph had last seen him. That's now over 20 years ago. Benjamin was the only full-blood full brother that, that Joseph had. And it's reasonable to assume that they probably had been quite close when Joseph was still at home. And now he sees Benjamin again, a grown man, still safe. It was, almost, it was too much for Joseph. He went into another room and broke down and, and wept. After he got control of himself, he washed his face and went back out to his brothers and told his servants to serve the meal. And he seated his brothers all according to their age. Which greatly astonished the brothers. They were looking at each other. How, how, how did he know that? <laughs> Says Joseph ate by, at a table by himself. He's the ruler of the land, so he would have been by himself. Uh, the other Egyptians ate at another table. And the brothers at still another table. And the explanation is given there in verse 32. The Egyptians don't eat with Hebrews. <laughs> That's loathsome to the Egyptians. <laughs> and I read that and thought, wow. <laughs> Sounds like generally speaking, Egyptians didn't have any use for Hebrews. So, the racial tensions that we're experiencing today, yeah, that uh, racism has always been a part of the human condition <laughs> and the fallen human nature. So here, yeah, no, Egyptians don't eat with Hebrews. So anyway, they enjoyed the meal, and the brothers were served food taken right from Jacob's, uh, from, from Joseph's table. But Joseph does something interesting. He had Benjamin served five times as much food as the other brothers. That's significant. We'll come back to it. So they all ate, and apparently they enjoyed themselves. And after this, chapter 44, verse 1 now, and following... After this, Joseph's house steward, under Joseph's orders, filled their sacks with grain, put their money back on their sacks again, as before. But he also did something else. Under Joseph's orders, he put Joseph's own personal silver cup in Benjamin's sack. Again, this is significant, as we'll see. So the brothers are all loaded up, and off they go, back home. But they had just started out, barely out of the city, and Joseph gave orders to his house steward to overtake them and ask them, why have you repaid evil for good? Why did you steal the ruler's cup, his special cup that he uses for divination? Now, I don't think Joseph practiced divination. <laughs> but it was believed by the Egyptians that the rulers of Egypt had divine powers. 
And Joseph is playing with his belief to make his point stronger and to throw more fear into the brothers. He had a reason for doing this, as we're going to see. We'll come back to that one, too. So the house steward caught up to the brothers and asked them why they had stolen the special cup. After he had been so good. Why do you take the ruler's special cup after he'd been so good to you? And the brothers are surprised. Why are you accusing us? Far be it from us to do such a thing. We're not thieves. We brought back the money. We found our sacks from the first trip. That ought to prove we're not thieves. And so they offered to the house steward to you go ahead and search. To find the cup, we'll all be your slaves. Well, the steward agreed to the search, but said that only the one who had the cup would be a slave and the rest could go free. So we searched all the sacks, starting from the sack of the oldest one right down to the sack of the youngest one. And then we got to the youngest one, to Benjamin's sack, and opened it up. There it was. Well, needless to say, they were filled with dismay, so much so that they tore their robes, tore their clothes. They all got their donkeys all loaded up again and went back into the city and went into Joseph's house and fell down on the ground again before Joseph. It's kind of a side note, but you, through this whole story, you realize how many times these brothers bowed down before Joseph? You see that again and again. <laughs> Remember that dream Joseph had way back when he was a kid? Uh, dreams all brothers be bowing down to him? Oh boy, it's sure coming true. <laughs> just, that was a side note. And then Joseph asked them, why have you done this? Don't you know that such a great man as I can indeed practice divination? How did you expect to get away with this? It's a tremendous act on Joseph's part. <laughs> and then Judah, again, speaks up for the brothers. We're seeing in this story that Judah is becoming the leader and the spokesman for the brothers. And Judah says, what, what can we say? How can we clear ourselves? God, God has found out our sin. And indeed, he had. <laughs> I'm sure Judah is referring to the cup being found in Benjamin's sack. But in reality, God is dealing with them about the sin more than 20 years earlier in selling Joseph into slavery. And Judah went on to say that all 11 of them would be his slaves. And Joseph answered, no, 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 that's not necessary. Not all of you. Just the guilty one will be my slave. The rest of you can go back to your father and your family with food to feed them. Well, that's the end of the story. That's as far as we're going to go today. End of the passage, but it's not the end of the story. And we'll have to wait till next week to hear the next installment of the story. But we'll stop here and take some time to see why Joseph did what he did. And apply these truths to our spiritual lives. As I said at the beginning, we see here in living color the next step in restoration, which is the test of repentance. It's a test of change. We need to understand that repentance means change. And it is a change that God is interested in. And we see this exemplified for us by the tests of repentance placed on Joseph's brothers here in this passage. first test is a test of change of action. That's number one there if you're taking notes. Test of change of action. 
We saw last week that Joseph and ultimately God was testing these brothers. They used to be so resentful to Joseph because he was favored. So resentful to the point of deliberately planning to take his life and to kill him. And the minute they got him alone, they acted on it. They intended to do it. They changed their minds at the last minute and sold him instead. But that was their intention. And now, as we see, Benjamin is the favored one. And so these brothers get a test. What are they going to do to Benjamin when they get him alone? Judah promised himself a surety for Benjamin, but did he mean it? Or when they got him away from dad, would they do away with him in some way? It's a long way to Egypt. A lot of things could happen. They had all kinds of time to do what they wanted and invent a good story as they did in Joseph's case so many years before. I wonder sometimes if these suspicions might have been going through Jacob's mind. And which is why he was reluctant to let Benjamin go. So the test was placed in the path of the brothers. There was no way they could get around it. They had to react to the situation one way or another. How would they respond? Had there really been a change in them? Had there been repentance? Was it real? So test of change of action. Secondly, there's a test of change of attitude. Test of change of attitude. Think back to the brother's attitude toward Joseph when he was still back home. Remember how jealous they were of Joseph? They were jealous of him because he was the favored son. And Jacob made no bones about it. He gave Joseph things that showed he was a favorite. Then there's that coat of many colors. And when Joseph got that coat, the brother's jealousy just burned red hot. So much so they sought to do away with him. So another test is placed before the brothers by the genius of Joseph. They got to Egypt. They're dining with Joseph. And Joseph deliberately gave Benjamin five times as much food as the other brothers got. I don't know how he would have eaten it all. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's what he did. It was something deliberate. It was something obvious. There was no way the brothers could have missed noticing this obvious favoring of Benjamin over them. I think Joseph was watching very closely. How are they going to react? He remembered how jealous they used to be when he was favored over them. Has it changed? Was there real genuine repentance in these brothers? Thirdly, the test of change of affection. Now, if you remember, the brothers hated Joseph. Their hatred of Joseph was deep and strong. There are a number of reasons why they hated him. First, obviously, it was because their father favored him over the rest of them. Then there was the fact that this little brother of theirs snitched on them and brought back an evil report about them to their father. And also, they weren't full brothers. Joseph and Benjamin were Rachel's sons. The other brothers were sons of other women. And those other women didn't get along. So I wonder if that, in fact, kind of played into the older brothers hating Joseph. 
But they hated Joseph, and they jumped at the first chance they had to get rid of him. And now they're dealing with Benjamin, another son of Rachel's, another favored son. Do they hate him too? So again, by the genius of Joseph, a test is placed in their way that would test their affections. Silver cup was placed in Benjamin's sack. And it was found there. And now Benjamin is in deep trouble. And Joseph decides to push us one step further. And he says the rest of them can go back home to their father with the food to feed their families. Benjamin must be his slave. Again, Joseph was waiting to see their reaction. Would they leave Benjamin there and be glad to get rid of him without any shady dealings on their part? Or did they love their brother enough to stick up with him and stick with him through this? Had they changed? Had there been genuine repentance? That's the test. So therefore this morning we see the tests of repentance that Joseph's brothers faced. A test in the area of action, a test in the area of attitude, and a test in the area of affection. We're going to leave the story here, kind of leave us hanging until <laughs> next week for the next installment. But we'll stop here and look at the application for us. We've been outsiders looking in on the story. We need to put ourselves in the middle of the story. In the middle of these truths. Repentance means change. Not merely sorrow or confession. It means to turn around. When you come face to face with your sin and admit to it and confess it, that's all fine and good. And it must be done. But it doesn't end there. There needs to be repentance. A change. First of that happens in your Christian life is when you become a Christian. And you realize that you are a sinner and need mercy. You're a sinner deserving for hell and you need mercy. And you confess your sin and repent. Agree with God about your sin. Repent and turn around and come to Jesus. By the way, if you're here this morning and you've never done that, that needs to be your first step that you take to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Savior, to forgive you for your sin. So if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that. Repentance. And even after Christians, when we sin, repentance needs to be there. A change. And the tests will come to show whether your repentance is genuine or not. It's the change that God is interested in. That genuine repentance. And he will place things or circumstances in your way to test you. To see if there was indeed genuine repentance. And the test will be along the same lines as what we've seen here this morning. In the area of actions. Is there a change? Given the same situation or say, same temptation that I fell for before? Will I act differently this time? Is repentance real? It will be the area of attitude. Again, given the same situation and the same circumstances that led me to sin before, will I have a different attitude toward, toward it than before? Will I have a different attitude toward the person or the people involved than before? In the area of affection, is there a change? Where do my affections really lie? 
Am I still going to think only of myself and my feelings and my desires? Or am I, are my affections in the Lord and the things of the Lord and in desiring to put others ahead of myself, as the Bible tells us to do? I don't know where you are this morning uh, in all of this, but perhaps God has been speaking to you. Maybe there's been a, or is a sin in your life that you know is wrong and you've admitted it's wrong. You've even apologized to God and to others and asked for forgiveness from God and from others. But you realize that really there has been no repentance. No change, really, in you. No desire to leave the sin. Apologies and admissions mean nothing to God if there's no change or desire to change. There needs to be genuine repentance and the tests that are coming will reveal if it's genuine or not. Is there a sin you're struggling with? A moral sin of some kind? A sin of deception? Of living a life of deceit? A sin of being judgmental? Looking down your nose at someone who is struggling? A sin of bitterness? Harboring resentment and a grudge against someone. Like the story here, a brother, a brother of Christ, a sister in Christ, a fellow Christian that you're harboring resentment and grudges against. I, I don't know, I'm just throwing stuff out there. Only you and God can answer those questions. I, I, I don't know the answer to that. The point is that sin needs to be dealt with and it is dealt with by repentance. And the tests will come to reveal if repentance is real or not. And if repentance is real, God will help you with the change. <laughs> and you humbly come to him and ask for help. So that's the second step of restoration, the tests of repentance. Is there real repentance or isn't there? For restoration to happen, that's the step that must be taken. We're going to stop there and just give you a moment of silence. To just listen to what God may be saying to you this morning. I'll give you a few moments.